My name's Tom Jennings and this is the 24 Framescast. Um, today is going to be another uh, short episode. Uh, I didn't want to not put anything out for a while uh, in order to kind of keep a kind of a, a, a more regular show schedule. So I've decided I'm just going to be taking a look at Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk today. Um, a little bit of housekeeping before I continue things. Um, I have been away for three weeks in the Azores, which um, if you kind of nodded then and said oh yeah they're the Azores but don't actually have a clue where they are I, I, I will uh, just uh, give a brief overview of, of, of the place um, it's in the a set of islands nine islands in the middle of the Atlantic um, my girlfriend and I went over there we managed to visit four islands in that time I did manage to make I took my drone with me and I managed to make a film which I've put up on Vimeo I also add it to YouTube and put a, a link to it in the show notes as it seems to have been getting quite a few views and some very positive feedback on various forums so I kind of think it's uh, now due time for a kind of slightly wider release but a truly incredible place um, if you're into photography and drones or just nice scenery and mountains and vineyards and jungles and waterfalls um, yeah I, I would thoroughly recommend going um, go now as well because it seems to be getting slightly more popular and there is a fair degree of um, I wouldn't say trepidation but a, a sense I suppose amongst the locals that it might be kind of reaching a turning point in terms of the amount of people who are actually visiting it so a truly amazing experience I cannot recommend going enough um, in the in time since I came back one of the first things I did in order to get over my post holiday blues was go to the cinema and uh, and this is going to kind of, I suppose, segue quite nicely into why I've decided to talk about Dunkirk today. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields. And in the streets. We shall never surrender. In the last episode, I did do kind of a mini review of where I was up to of the year so far. And one of the things that I, I, I made out was the fact that I was struggling to find the motivation to go to the cinema on the basis that many of the experiences I was having at the cinema just didn't seem particularly cinematic to me. Um, and also that comes down to part of the experience I was getting. I was finding the cinema to be incredibly overpriced, at times quite poor sound quality, especially in terms of how low the, the volume was, people munching popcorn, and then just the simple aesthetics of the films. There was nothing that I found to be uniquely cinematic. I, I just thought I could see what I was, I get what I was getting from the cinema, sorry, on, on my TV, and I wouldn't really be missing out much. Now, with the sheer amount of content that's become available on Netflix and Sky and Amazon, and of course the ever-falling price of Blu-rays, this has taken my toll in general on trips to the cinema, and it is going to take a lot to get me out. And to be fair, I'm not even sure I like it. I want to go to the cinema. I don't like being sat around the house all day. So. Who could possibly tempt me out of this slumber? Well, of course, there is one director working today who seems more and more concerned about providing the likes of me with the very thing I crave. And that person is, of course, Christopher Nolan. 
Now, make no mistake, this is simply not a case of fetishizing film. It's not just about me wanting films being made on film. No, this is a craving to have an experience that one can only get by making the effort to go to the cinema. And Nolan has gone to great pains during the promotion of this film to make this point. He doesn't like people watching films on iPhone. I don't either, to be honest with you. Nor does he like them being watched on Netflix, although I think that is a discussion for another day for me. But let's not beat around the bush. I love his films, and make no mistake, I do enjoy almost everything he puts out. I don't enjoy the clamouring to always declare them the best thing that has ever been made. In fact, I do find it rather annoying, and as I have said many, many times before, if you think The Dark Knight is the greatest film ever made, then you simply haven't watched many films, and of course you're entitled to your opinion, but you're still wrong anyway. His previous film, Interstellar, has only gotten better for me with each viewing. Slowly, it is etching itself onto my list of favourite films. The best science fiction film ever made? Well, no, not for me at the moment, but it is a film that spoke to my concerns on global warming and presented science in all its wondrous glory. That was three years ago, and it's fair to say Nolan could make any film he wanted, and in this case he has decided to channel his considerable talents into making a war film. We had a renaissance in the late 90s with the likes of Saving Private Ryan and the thin red line of the war genre, and in the intervening years we've had some excellent TV series such as The Band of Brothers and The Pacific, as well as the odd film here and there. And as a genre, it doesn't seem to me particularly surprising that Nolan would choose the war film. He seems to be a person who loves details and facts as well as the genre providing a huge canvas to tell a story. So when Dunkirk was announced, I was extremely interested. However, what did take me slightly off guard was prior to in a couple of weeks to the film's release, I found out the running time was 1 hour and 40 minutes, which is his shortest film to date, I believe, or I think is his second, or it might be a following, I'm not sure, but certainly it's, it's the shortest film he's put out in a while. And part of me was a tad disappointed. I wanted a good old-fashioned war epic. But then again, there are enough of them about anyway, and despite knowing the story of Dunkirk, I was intrigued as to how he would approach it. Now, Dunkirk occupies a strange place in British history. It is the culmination of a huge military defeat. The British Expeditionary Force was being systematically kicked across Europe by Hitler's vastly superior and modern army. Churchill believed at best about 30,000 troops would make it, off the beaches, and in the end that amount would be ten times. From such a hideous defeat, a victory of sorts was achieved, helped in part by a flotilla of small boats setting off from the British coast to rescue the troops trapped on the beaches. A phrase, the spirit of Dunkirk, was coined, and these events would of course give rise to Churchill's most famous speech in my eyes, his infamous, we shall fight them on the beaches one. It is a very British thing, turning military disaster and rebranding into its success, but make no mistake, this was a pivotal moment in the war, and is one that quite rightly to this day we still celebrate. And cinema has of course been here before with Leslie Norman's Dunkirk, 
Made during the cycle of British war films in the 1950s, it takes an understated, melancholic tone and reflection on the events. I'm pleased to actually say that this film is also going to be released on Blu-ray in September by Studio Canal. Now, I grew up with films such as The Longest Day and A Bridge Too Far and Patton. These are all epic, large-scale films with huge casts, tanks and military equipment. Which brings me back to Nolan's film, because within the first few minutes of it, I made abundantly clear we were onto something very far from removed from those epics of my youth. Nolan has used the story of Dunkirk as a backdrop to construct a series of fiercely intense set pieces that explore the physical, psychological and moral implications that such an event creates. They all take place at different times before coincident chance bring the mood together over the course of the film. The film gets the history of Dunkirk out of the way early. We are told through titles what has happened and are literally thrown into the result of the chaotic military blunder that has led to 300,000 troops being on the beach. Finn and Whitehead plays Tommy, which is the slang term for British soldiers, desperately trying any means necessary to get off the beach, including sneaking on ships by way of being a stretcher bearer, and it's just about any method he can think of. In the air, Farris, played by Tom Hardy, fights aerial duels in his Spitfires against the German Messerschmitts, and on sea, Mr Dawson, played by Mark Rylance, travels with his son and young boy to join the flotilla of boats racing across the channel to rescue the soldiers picking up a shell-shocked Cillian Murphy on the way. On the Mole, which is kind of a pier of sorts, Kenneth Branagh, or Major Exposition as he could more accurately be called, marshals the troops in every possible exchange, clearly tells us the audience what is actually going on. So I will begin by saying what really was my main issue with this film. Now although I was moved by the character's situations, and to a degree cared what happened to them, this was purely on the basis they were human beings. Literally, I felt I could have been watching anyone. The main character is, of course, generically called Tommy. And yes, I wanted him to survive, as I did everyone. But Nolan is clearly, very purposefully, opting not to tell us more about these people. Almost as if we stumbled into their stories. Which, um, of course, may well be the point. Indifference is not the word, and certainly, as I will discuss, this approach made me way more aware of the film's craft and use of every trick in the filmmaker's canon to extract every ounce of suspense from scenes. And my argument is flawed, of that I can fully admit. This is a survival film, and in these situations, those taking part don't have time to look at pictures of loved ones, contemplate the existence and their worth on earth and make promises to unborn children that they will be there for their birth. Saving Private Ryan this is most definitely not and for the record I love that film upon its release and now I can barely make it past the first 30 minutes without becoming bored. It's schmaltzy moralising and jingoism simply grates against my now bitter middle-aged sensibilities. Dunkirk does not have time for such nonsense. Every moment of screen time is spent making you aware that the people you are watching are in immense danger. Yet this led a kind of detachment to Nolan's approach to his subjects. Whilst though its technical prowess placed you on the edge of your seat, it didn't make for an emotionally empty experience. Well, that was for me at least. This year we had the awful Hacksaw Ridge, which had an almost pornographic obsession with showing us humans being turned into giblets. Indeed, war films often pile on the body count in order to emphasise the horror of conflict. 
I feel that Dunkirk, with its attention on the individual, reinforces the importance of human lives. I don't know these characters particularly, I don't necessarily like them, yet I wanted them to survive on the same basis that I do when I hear about trapped miners or an overturned ship and hope the people involved make it through. In effect, I think Nolan is appealing to a very innate care function that resides in all of us, all of us at least, bar psychopaths I would have thought. And credit must also be given to the age of the soldiers cast. You don't see 30 year olds playing 20 year olds, here you see young actors playing young soldiers as would have been the case at the time. Their youth makes their desire to stay alive all the more real and relatable and the lack of seeing stars inhibiting these roles in every frame gives Dunkirk the menacing dread as your eyes cannot fix on the familiar face with whom you believe you will make the experience through with. However, I have to go back to the issue of characters. Does this lack of personality in them translate in well into film? Well, I'm not so sure. The best way to look at Dunkirk is an exercise in pure aesthetics, and from that perspective, the film is a revelation, if somewhat bereft of one what I typically expect. You need only listen to the dialogue to understand where Nolan is as a director. Mark Rylance seems to have the most to say, and for the most part, what he is saying is not interesting at all. Nolan, as cliched as is going to sound, speaks the language of cinema, and I would contest this is most technically impressive work to date. He doesn't write good dialogue, I would contest, but he does know how to construct drama and tension. Take for example the scene where Ferris's fuel gauge is broken. Obviously he cannot now tell how much he has remaining and has to rely on his wingman's estimates. So what happens when the wingman ditches into the sea? And this very simple device has put your mind on a kind of countdown, as if the film wasn't stressful enough already. And yes, that is Michael Caine you can hear on the radio. Nolan recently curated a retrospective at the BFI demonstrating the films that had influenced Dunkirk and you need only look at that list to know why the film is such a nail-biting experience. Included were The Wages of Fear, Alien, Speed, Unstoppable, to name but a few alongside of course films like Sunrise and perhaps slightly surprisingly to me Chariots of Fire. And the film soars when Nolan is flexing his cinematic muscle and with most of the film being shot on IMAX, the aerial duels over the channel were one of the most impressive CGI-free pieces of action I've seen possibly since Guy Hamilton's Battle of Britain. And don't expect with Dunkirk to see hundreds of planes engaged in the conflict ever, and if there is a sparsity to the characters, there is also a kind of sparsity to the film's scale. IMAX gives you a huge frame, and Nolan doesn't fill it with hundreds of aeroplanes, moreover he carefully sets before you a, set, a screen devoid of excess clutter, forcing your attention on what is unfolding in front of you. And I have to regress back to childhood as a point of comparison. My love of films was born from the war films of the 50s, 60s and 70s, and what always struck me was the scale of them. Just watch the French commando attack in the longest day. It's incredible with an entire town being assaulted in one long take with hundreds of extras. And although we must applaud Nolan's commitment to as little CGI as possible, it does lead me to another slight issue with Dunkirk. Obviously, in times gone by, producers would simply rent armies for the job of being extras and the results would speak for themselves. 
in the modern age, you either CGI fast armies or you cast a reasonable number of extras. And Nolan's opted for the latter. And although I'm not, and although I'm not beholden to historical accuracy, at no time during the film did I ever get the impression that there were literally hundreds of thousands of men waiting for collection on the beaches. Yes, there are a lot of extras, approximately 6,000, and as, as, apparently as many painted on as well, but Dunkirk did seem to lack a little in the scale department when it came to portraying the sheer volume of men awaiting evacuation. Yet there is a kind of abstraction to Dunkirk that I feel helped greatly by the sparsity of the imagery. Without wishing to sound kind of quasi-spiritual, I did find Dunkirk to have an almost dreamlike quality of much of its visual flourishes. An abandoned boat waiting on the evening tide, soldiers looking on mass at the heavens as screaming bombers came toward them, the clipped minimalist dialogue, and of course Hans Zimmer's score that generally feels like Hans has thrown the rule book out the window and has made a kind of experimental soundscape to induce nightmares in an insane asylum. Now of course we know history, but we seldom have experienced it to this degree, and I've seen imagery of course from Dunkirk, and what I felt here was that Nolan was reimagining the events, not to adhere to accuracy, but to create his own reality of events, to refashion them in his own cinematic world. In short, Dunkirk as presented here is a canvas to explore his own cinematic vision, and freed from the confines of reality, he's able to give us such mesmerizing imagery as a spitfire totally ran out of fuel flying over the beaches having shot down a German dive bomber. It's both surreal and wonderful and of course hugely cinematic. Special credit must also go to the film's sound design. The screeches of the dive bombers was terrifying and much of the film was loud, chaotic and all underpinned of course by Zimmer's score who seemed I think to have reached a new plateau of excellence in his long career. Dunkirk is not a typical war film, it is an experience in suspense that belongs in the cinema. On IMAX this is bar none, the most jaw-dropping use of the format I have ever seen, and most of the IMAX experiences I have had have come from Nolan's films. Anyway, there is much I liked in Dunkirk, I felt I got a genuine experience from it, and in that regard I have to say it was a hit for me. There is a but though. Quite honestly, Dunkirk felt slightly too clinical for me. There is a but though. There is a but though, and quite honestly, I felt Dunkirk was slightly too clinical for me. Yes, in its final moments, this when the film kind of caught up with the history of the events, I won't deny it, a lump in my throat did form as the version of Elgar's Nimrod sword on the soundtrack, and as Tommy Reed's Churchill's tear-inducing speech from the paper, but Dunkirk is an exercise in aesthetics and for a studio film it's a bold daring piece of cinema. Nolan is a director who can do whatever he wants and with Dunkirk he has created an oddity. It is a film that has to be seen in the cinema. It's a film that knows what makes for great cinema, yet it's a film that won't ever make you remember its characters, you won't ever repeat lines from it, you won't ever idealise these people, and you may just have to recall how the film made you react in the same way a roller coaster does. And that's possibly the best literal comparison I can make. Quite thrilling for a short period of time, but a few seconds later and you've almost forgotten about the experience and you're heading on to the next one. 
I wanted to justify spending my money on it, and it did. And for what has been a pretty crap year for films so far, that I will happily take away. And that's going to be it for this all too brief episode of the 24 Frames cast. I will be back as soon as humanly possible. Um, I will try and keep to a uh, more regular schedule, so it might mean more episodes, slightly shorter episodes like this. We'll see how we're getting on. Um, there is one thing that I've got in the pipeline that I have been experimenting with quite a great deal since I got back from holiday. And obviously film is a visual medium. And I've been looking at ways in which I can make kind of visual essays or perhaps slightly more, I suppose, further down the road would be to kind of make my own documentaries about film for formats or kind of, I suppose, channels like YouTube and Vimeo. I've been experimenting with kind of converting film files into kind of um, editable friendly um, clips and that kind of thing and it's, it's kind of an idea at the moment I think I'm going to start off trying to do something quite simple and short just to see if I can do it but it does seem like um, I, I, I want to kind of branch out and kind of do new things and this might be quite a nice way um, of I, I guess sharing my thoughts on film in a, in a creative in a creative way when I was away, I was looking at uh, you know, other kind of YouTube channels and Vimeo channels. And it's definitely something that I want to have a look at. So um, I will keep you posted as to what you know what what's going on with that and how it works. Also, um, the Master of Cinema cast will return. I was actually talking to Joachim this morning about that, and this morning by this morning I mean we're on August the 11th. So uh, we will definitely be looking to record again, and we'll get some episodes up there. But in the end. In the meantime, many thanks for listening. I'll be in contact soon. You can find me at 24framescast.blogspot.com on Twitter at 24framescast. I'm Tom Jennings on Facebook and, and my profile picture is me standing over Giants Causeway in Ireland. So, And with that, I'm going to sign off. I'll be in contact soon. Bye.